Earlier this fall, Cesare Podcool noticed an ad on Telegram. It was posted by someone calling himself Mr. Big in a Chinese-language Telegram channel where people go to strike money laundering deals. Cesare is a reporter for ProPublica based in Hong Kong. And lately, he's been covering cyber fraud. He says Mr. Big seemed like he needed help fast. And this appeared like quite a desperate plea to help launder a large amount of money in the form of gold, precious stones, and basically just get all that stuff across the border into China because apparently, as he put it in his ad, a crackdown was making it difficult for him to do that. So this was an example of the kinds of ads you see in these forms, and it was quite alarming because we know that there's a lot of cyber fraud originating from Southeast Asia right now, and there's a lot of money laundering going on. So this was kind of a hint at the scale of it and the desperation of some of these groups to try to get money laundered through the system. The ad itself sounds like the plot of a thriller. But Cesare says the request was very real. The idea was this. Mr. Big had laundered his dirty money, likely through a shady casino, and he had physical assets that he needed smuggled back into China. If you carry gold, jade, bricks and stones out of the country and bring them back home, you will get 10% profit on the items. For example, if you carry something worth $2 million back home, you'll get 200000 So that's just kind of the rough uh, example. And then uh, he included some geographic directions, which made it clear that they would be talking about smuggling items from Myanmar into southern Yunnan province in China. And these kinds of jobs are not unusual anymore. In Singapore, police seized over $2 billion in assets in a recent money laundering bust. We're talking about gold bars, like 68 gold bars, luxury purses, um, you know, luxury uh, bags, luxury watches, luxury cars, properties uh, worth over $2 billion that they said originated from a criminal syndicates involved in scams and online gambling. So um, it's just an indication of just the amount of money that's sloshing around the region right now from these sorts of criminal enterprises involved in these things. Those criminals arranged to swap their dirty money, often cryptocurrency like the stablecoin Tether, for clean money, what they call white capital, which you can get in a casino. And there's a number of forms like these on on Telegram that advertise these sorts of transactions to help you basically find clean capital. There's other channels I looked at just like this one that involve these sorts of exchanges, and they're very open about what they're doing. Money laundering. Yes, black capital being exchanged for white capital. And uh, they're very open about that fact, and it's not hidden. It's uh, in plain sight. Today on the show, the casinos may be out in the open, but they're enabling a vast hidden network of cybercrime. Crimes that start with a simple text and end in money laundering. I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. important thing to know about Telegram is that there's almost no content moderation. That's made it popular with groups like Hamas, for example. It's also used by extremists and far-right groups in the U.S. And in Southeast Asia, Cesare says, it's become a forum where people openly discuss money laundering. And I think that's one of the things I learned in the process of doing this reporting. I was aware that these channels existed, and I was aware from the reporting I did last year 
from ProPublica when we reported on the existence of telegram channels where people were basically being sold as slaves uh, into some of these scamming organizations to fleece people out of their life savings. I knew that there were all kinds of forms in Telegram that transacted in these sorts of activities. I didn't realize just the scale of how many of them existed for specifically the purpose of money laundering. And that was certainly quite eye-opening in terms of how many of them there are. Also, the close connection that some of them have to casinos in the region, which is, I think, another aspect of this that I think people should be aware of. You know, there's a lot of casinos that are really, really closely involved in money laundering and enabling money laundering on a massive scale. And one one way in which they do that is they run these telegram groups where they help people strike deals to help exchange dirty money for clean money. The last time we had you on this show, you and I talked about online scams called pig butchering, sometimes perpetrated by victims of human trafficking. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the landscape of online fraud that has blossomed in Southeast Asia over the past few years. Blossomed is unfortunately the correct term for it. And I cannot adequately describe to you the scale of what we're seeing here. Uh, Just to give you some numbers around this, and these are all just shocking, crazy numbers. So prepare, like I just, I'm still wrapping my head around all of them. $2 billion seized in one criminal investigation in Singapore. Gold bricks, purses, properties, you know, you name it, uh, tied to these cyber scams and uh, online gambling. According to some estimates just recently put out by uh, the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, one country alone could be seeing, you know, somewhere between seven and a half to like twelve and a half billion dollars a year worth of cybercrime proceeds crossing into its borders. Uh, We're seeing casinos in very remote areas of Myanmar where no one would really have a good reason to go gamble, where people are just putting wads and wads of like cold, hard cash on the table. And there's no good reason, like if you really want to, you know, gamble, I mean, why risk your life in addition to, you know, betting on the outcome of a Baccarat game, right? It's a dangerous place right now. There's a civil war going on. And you're just seeing all of these casinos pop up around the region um, that just have amazing amounts of money flowing through them where there really wouldn't seem to be that much demand for gambling in those regions. And if you put all of that together, if you look at the picture that's emerging, uh, you know, really what you see if you step back is that there's just a ton of money laundering happening in the region right now. And that is really the thing that is enabling this global, some people are calling it the global scamdemic that we're now seeing in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Casinos have have long been a target for money laundering. And I wonder if you could explain what makes them so attractive if you want to launder some dirty cash. Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to think about it, it's sort of like a cash mixing service, right? I mean, people from all walks of life, people come in, they, you know, they put down cash, the cash gets mixed together, right? People gamble, they cash out. And so you put some money in, hopefully you win. But even if you don't win, one of the tactics we see in the region is uh, you see people coming in for these fixed games where I'm going to go play a game and I'm going to lose, but the person I happen to lose to happens to be in the same criminal syndicate as me. So I lose to the guy I'm in business with. I lose it. He wins. He cashes out. Boom. You know, it's, uh, it's just gambling proceeds. You know, we, you know, he won this money, but it now looks like legitimate proceeds of gambling, right? So there's all sort of tricks and, and, and strategies at play here. It used to be that if you wanted to gamble in Asia, you went to Macau, where gambling is legal. But once China began to crack down on organized crime, the people who might have been laundering money through casinos in Macau looked elsewhere. 
to Cambodia, the Philippines, and Myanmar. That's why you see all of these casinos popping up across the region. We're talking dozens and dozens of casinos, sometimes very remote areas where basically these criminal uh, organizations have kind of cut deals to set up their own special economic zones even, where they get to do whatever they want. And uh, one of the things they're doing besides you know, uh, running these casinos and enabling money laundering is they're also increasingly running these scam compounds. That's a term you hear all the time now. I just heard it tonight when talking to someone. It's a very common phrase. It's, everyone seems to be familiar with it now because we've been inundated with so much news about it here in our region. And unfortunately, these scams are coming a lot of times from our region, from Southeast Asia, towards the United States and countries around the world. The pandemic also played a key role because of the amount of empty real estate it left available. If you were running a criminal syndicate and needed a place to set up a business or house workers or trafficking victims, there were empty buildings just waiting to be occupied. And the next thing they did was they set up these fraud operations to target not only Americans, but people in what we now know are dozens of countries. Um, just to give you the latest figures as of September, uh, there's one organization uh, that's been set up a victim support group for victims of these pig butchering scams called the Global Anti-Scam Organization. And when I checked in with them last month, uh, just to see how many victims they had from how many, how many countries, uh, they told me they now have heard of pig butchering scams affecting people in um, over 100 countries. Wow. Um, and the United States is by far the largest. And then when you sort that list alphabetically, it goes from Algeria to Zimbabwe. I mean, it's really a global phenomenon. And the United States is by far the biggest target. And just for the global anti-scam organization, just for the known victims there, we're looking at half a billion dollars. And that's just a small sliver of the actual victim losses because many people are too ashamed to say, hey, I fell victim to one of these scams. So many people, people don't even report it. If you look at the clues that are appearing in our region, the massive money laundering, criminal investigations, the probes, the people being arrested, and just the tons of money being laid on the tables in these remote casinos, uh, it's got to be many multiples of that um, easily. I want to pick up on something you just said, because I think it's really important. I think it's possible that someone listening to this show in the U.S. would say, yeah, that sounds bad, but why do I care if Southeast Asian criminal organizations are laundering their money? And I wonder if you could lay out the stakes if you are an American listening to this, because it sounds far away, but from your reporting, maybe it's not. No, and it uh, makes its way to the U.S. sooner or later in one form or another. Just to give you an example, we're starting to see criminal organizations adapt new tools like AI, artificial intelligence, that they're going to then deploy on people around the world, including Americans. We're starting to see indications of them, uh, you know, branching out into other types of attack vectors, as the cybersecurity industry might call them, like malware and other things where they can use those tools to attack people in the U.S. and elsewhere. And the reason they can do that is because if you're making this much money, you have more money to invest in this stuff, right? Uh, It's just like any other business. I mean, I know we're talking about criminal organizations here, but at the end of the day, they are a business. They're a criminal business, but they are a business. And if they can launder this money, if they can get access to this money, if they can use this money, it's more money that they can then use to invest in new ways of attacking not just Americans, but people around the world with 
new types of scams, new types of fraud, new tactics we haven't seen before that I cannot even begin to explain to you because they don't exist yet. And, you know, and that's why Telegram is such an interesting space to monitor for these things. That is often where you see the first indications of this stuff. And also, if it's happening in this region, as we saw with pig butchering scams, which first hit Singapore really, really bad in the spring of 2021. And within a few weeks, few months, you know, we were hearing of them attacking Americans uh, really, really bad, especially in California and then spreading to other states. If it's happening here first in our region, you can rest assured it's not going to be too long before whatever type of scam, new type of scam or fraud we're seeing will make its way to U.S. shores. When we come back, how all of this can start with just one text. Can you remind listeners how a pig butchering scam works? Yeah, it's a confidence scam and it's a highly effective one. And the reason it's so effective is because it relies a lot on psychological manipulation. So basically, you it might begin with an innocuous wrong number type text message where someone apologizes for um, you know, intruding on your privacy. I thought you were Bob, but you're not. I'm sorry. Well, let's keep talking anyway. A common line you see in you know, those scripts is acquaintance is fate. Uh, even though we don't know each other, let's keep talking. And then you, if you're uh, willing to engage with them, they'll just chat with you innocently about your life, everyday things, you know, just trying to get to know you. And those conversations are very strategic. They're there to help the scammers get to know you, who you are, how much money you might have. Uh, are you wealthy? Are you uh, poor? Are you willing to invest? Are you not? And those things get profiled. They get put on a conveyor belt of information about the target or the customer, as they call them. And then if they think you're willing to engage, then they'll press further and they'll introduce you to the cryptocurrency scam that they're uh, trying to push on people. The way that works then is, you know, they convince you to invest a little bit of money in the what they say is a reputable brokerage on which they've made tons of money. They'll show you screenshots of how it works. It's made them wealthy. Uh, eventually, if you're uh, convinced by them because you trust them, you've been talking to this person for weeks, sometimes months, um, you figure, okay, well, I trust this person. Maybe I'll try it with a little bit of money. And then, of course, the website is fake. They control the numbers and uh, they make it seem like you just you know, doubled your money, for example. You made a lot of money. Why don't you put in more? And I know it's easy to listen to this and think, I would never fall for one of these scams. But the reason that there is so much money washing around casinos is that people do fall for the scams. And they fall often because the scammers are very good at what they do. They tailor it to your psychology. They're willing to put in the time, the investment, the energy. And some of these scams, people uh, will engage with these scammers for many months, three, four months or more before they realize wait a second, it's a scam. And the moment at which that happens is when the scammers realize I cannot press this person anymore. Lizzie has deposited the maximum amount she's willing to put in and nothing I can try as a scammer will convince her to put in more money. So you know what? Let's just make her aware that this is all a scam, but not quite overt, as overtly as, as she would think. We're going to cut off her access to her account and say, oh no, uh, unless you... Uh, agree to pay a tax or a huge hefty fee, you cannot get access to your funds again. And at that point, you can imagine if people have deposited, in some cases, their life savings, you know, millions of dollars. Uh, it's not unusual to hear victims, and I've interviewed some victims who uh, lost upwards of a million, million dollars. You know, you're so desperate to get that money back that you will fall for it again. 
and you might put in some extra money. And of course, any additional fee, any tax you pay is just throwing good money after bad, throwing good money after bad, throwing good money after bad until you finally realize, usually when someone in your family or close friends convinces you, hey, this is this is totally a scam. Uh, and that's why it's called pig butchering, because the money keeps growing bigger and bigger, the amount of money people are depositing until um, they lose substantial sums. And that's the point at which the scammers will butcher them and make them aware it's all a scam and try to get them for even more money. A lot of this money, the money from the pig butchering scams or the money that gets put into crypto, this is the money that's being laundered. Yes, exactly. And it's easier than ever before. Um, for example, through the gambling sector, what we're seeing here in Southeast Asia is we're seeing a lot of online casinos pop up that are plugged into the cryptocurrency space. So if you want to, go ahead and deposit money via cryptocurrency. And of course, you know a lot of that money is now sloshing around the blockchain where when people deposit funds into these fraudulent uh, websites, the money gets moved from wallet to wallet to wallet. It hops and hops and hops from one wallet to another. And one avenue that criminals have for laundering the money is to pass it through a casino. And then on the way out, they can also do other things. They can send it to a mixing service. They can do all kinds of things to obscure its origin, to make it harder to trace, to basically make it seem like it's legitimate funds, all kinds of tricks that they have available. But there's a lot of that money now going through the blockchain. And there's a lot of options they have for laundering, and including these Telegram channels that we talked about earlier, where they offer deals to exchange, for example, US uh, Tether, USDT, for, you know, for example, Chinese uh, RMB. In one case, I saw, you know, Singapore dollars. Do we know who's behind both the casinos and the scams? Are they the same people? In general, it's organized crime. And not exclusively. I mean, there are some legitimate casinos in the region. I don't want to make it seem like every casino is, is corrupt, but there is a high level of infiltration by organized crime in casinos across the region, um, especially ones that have been set up more recently by, in some cases, known uh, criminal figures like Juan Cocoy, known as uh, a Broken Tooth, who is a sanctioned criminal. He's a notorious gangster and triad boss. Uh, triad, and for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with the 14K Triad, it's a Chinese organized criminal organization. And so uh, he set up his own uh, zone in uh, Myanmar a couple of years ago to basically run a space where he can do whatever he wants. Um, and these types of criminal enclaves are popping up all over, especially Myanmar, but uh, across the region also, where basically have known criminal bosses in some cases kind of cutting these deals to have their own space, their own plot of land where they control it. Oftentimes it's under the guise of I'm building a resort or a smart city, whatever that means. You know, it's going to be plugged into the blockchain and it's going to create jobs. It's going to be great. There's going to be casinos, resorts, everything. And when you actually go there, you know, it doesn't quite live up to the hype. You know, it's a lot of online gambling uh, operations that often dabble in cyber fraud. And then it's these casinos that also enable the money laundering. You've alluded to this and you mentioned it when you were on the show last year, but often the people who are perpetrating these scams are victims themselves of of human trafficking. And I wonder how that complicates law enforcement's goal of cracking down on a scam. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, a lot of times people aren't doing this willingly, especially the initial stage of the scam. You know, a lot of those messages uh, in the initial conversation that happens after you receive this friendly message from a stranger on 
LinkedIn or Facebook, or it could be through WhatsApp or whatever messaging service you use. A lot of times those initial conversations will be handled by these human trafficking victims, people who are tricked into these scam compounds um, into working in these uh, scamming organizations. And the way that happens is they get tricked with a very lucrative job offer. You know, like one uh, human trafficking victim I interviewed told me of a job post that he learned about to a friend that was going to pay upwards of $1,000 US a month, which is a lot of money for him. So he thought, even though it was a very general sounding job ad, it fit his skill description. He's good with computers. He speaks English. So he went. And next thing you know, when he arrives in Bangkok, he gets you know smuggled across the border into Myanmar and he finds himself in a notorious scam compound, uh, this place known as KK Park where he's forced to scam people, uh, including in his case, Americans, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, that's the general storyline you see you hear over and over again. Uh, it's been happening now for many months. Uh, it really exploded during the pandemic. Uh, and it, as far as we know, it's still happening. Uh, we know also that there are some people who are definitely doing this willingly, um, who go there knowing that they're going to be scammers or they don't mind being scammers once they're tricked into being there. They kind of make peace with that. They say, you know what, I'm going to do this for a while. And then maybe they become involved in the scamming enterprise. So it's a kind of a sliding scale of criminality. And I think that's the thing that makes it difficult uh, in that you cannot treat all of these people as being willing perpetrators of the crime because many of them are not. But on the other hand, you also cannot assume that all of them were doing it unwillingly, right? And you have to kind of separate those who were doing it willingly from those who weren't. And you can definitely see in some of the photos and videos that have come out of some of these mass arrests that have been done, that some of the people in these large-scale arrests look quite young. You know, we're talking about teenagers. Um, and when you see people that young, when I saw some of those photos, this is from a recent uh, bust that happened uh, on the China-Myanmar border, uh, you know, I thought to myself, well, some of these people, you know, look so young that I just, you know, it looks like they might have been victims of human smuggling. And uh, we saw China uh, restrict access from the in the southern province of Yunnan, restrict access from Yunnan into Myanmar to basically stem the you know human smuggling to make it harder for human smuggling to happen. So we know human smuggling is happening, and I think that's the complicating factor for law enforcement, especially because uh, oftentimes you know the laws haven't caught up to this reality. Right? We've never dealt with a situation like this where people are forced to scam others before. Um, human smuggling and human trafficking has been around for a long time, but this is a very new 21st century and very dangerous iteration of it. Listening to you, the breadth of this is pretty staggering. Would it work to just shut down the ability to launder money? To to go after the telegram channels, to go after the casinos, because that seems like such a linchpin of making these scams profitable for the people who run them. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. The question is, how do you do that? Shutting them down again is going to require a lot of people to work together to, first of all, you know, I think view the casino sector as being an integral part of this, right? One of the United Nations and Office of Drugs and Crime officials I talked to for my story uh, Jeremy Douglas mentioned to me that, you know, everyone's looking at uh, the banking sector and flagging suspicious, suspicious transactions of, you know, the cash of $10,000 or more, right, that gets flagged as suspicious through the banking sector. And meanwhile, you have 
criminal organizations, you know, moving millions to these casinos and kind of laughing at that system. Because these casinos in Southeast Asia, they, they don't have certainly anywhere near as robust of a reporting regime for suspicious transactions. And even if they do, they, you know, largely don't bother to file them. So you're not getting those suspicious transaction reports. There's very little reporting, very little disclosure happening. And I think one of the things that's going to have to happen that could really go a long way towards um, helping tackle this is people have to view the casinos in the region as sort of a shadow banking sector, right? Because that's the way criminals are viewing them. You know, they're viewing them as a place where you can go launder money and, you know, you can even, you know, in some cases deposit money through, for example, you know, junket operators, which is like this parallel industry uh, to casinos that organize gambling trips for high rollers. It's become very popular in the region. And these high rollers are often, you know, uh, people who need to launder money that they got from illicit means. Uh, you know, the predicate crimes could be anything from, you know, selling drugs, you know, to cyber crime, and they need to launder that money. They, you know, sign up to go on these gambling trips. They can then move money around through uh, very sophisticated transactions from one jurisdiction to another. Um, and all of that has enabled this ecosystem to grow where they can move money around easily. They can sometimes hold it in a junket account. Uh, earn interest on it, kind of like they would in a bank. Um, casinos also have these safekeeping transactions where they, you know, they'll safekeep your chips. Um, and, you know, they're basically kind of being utilized by the criminal groups in the, in the region as, uh, as a type of bank, you know, a shadow bank for criminal organizations. And again, I just want to make it clear, I'm not talking about every single casino in the region, you know, but generally what we're seeing is a high level of uh, infiltration by organized crime that's enabling these sorts of, sorts of deals, these sorts of transactions to occur. Cesare Podkol, thank you so much for coming on the show and for your reporting. My pleasure. Thanks, Lizzie. Cesare Podkol is a reporter for ProPublica who writes about finance. And that is it for the show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell and Anna Phillips. Our show is edited by Mia Armstrong-Lopez. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate, and TBD is part of the larger What Next family. We're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. <laughs>